Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Greg Pickett. Hey, welcome to the uh, Aerospace Executive Podcast. Um, as always, I'm Craig Pickett. Hey, today I've got uh, Sam Maida with us. Sam is the president of the now Collins Aerospace Mechanical Systems Division. Um, he's a gentleman and executive I've known for about 10 years. He uh, he joined uh, Mechanical Systems from uh, Sikorsky, where he ran defense programs. Um, Sam's got a great background, which uh, which started as a, a legal counsel for Otis Elevator. He rose through the ranks with uh, through Sikorsky and joined UTAS about uh, 18 months ago in his current role. So, hey, Sam, how are you? Hey, Craig, how you doing? Uh, listen, I appreciate you taking the time to have me on. You mentioned... Uh, Wow, it's been 10 years. <laughs> we've worked together. We've known each other. So time flies, I guess, when you're having fun. But I certainly just want to um, – I know we're going to talk a little bit here. I just wanted to thank you for your friendship and all the help that you've provided us uh, over the past 10 years or so. No, it's been a great, it's been a great relationship and one I've, uh, I've certainly enjoyed. So all good. Hey, so obviously big news with, uh, you know, it's, well, it's not really news now, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's still, you know, Fresh in everybody's mind, Rockwell Collins and United Tech Technologies Aerospace Systems. You're you're merged now. Yeah, how's that, how's that integration coming? Yeah, you know it's been going well. Um, you know, you mentioned the uh, the freshest uh, the the paint is still drying and some of the signage, right, uh, for Collins Aerospace. So, um, but we're well into execution mode, and um, I have to say, Craig, I think um, you know I've been around, especially in this industry in aerospace and defense. Um, we, you know, we've had some um, good uh, good tie-ups between companies, and we've had some that uh, I know have been troubled over time. Uh, you know, elsewhere in the industry, uh, I have to say this coming together of uh, the Heritage United Technologies Aerospace and <clears throat> excuse me, and Rockwell Collins has been really positive. Uh, the two two companies um, really have a like-mindedness with regard to some of their priorities. You know, focusing on customers, focusing on innovation. Uh, focusing on moving uh, the aerospace industry forward. Uh, I think both companies have like-minded leadership, and I think ultimately that's what's made a difference so far. We've done a good job, I think, between the two companies of making sure that we have an integrated leadership team. So uh, roughly half of our senior leadership team um, is made up of legacy Rockwell Collins folks, the other half legacy uh, United Technologies Aerospace folks. And what's great about it is I can say, you know, uh, five, six months into this, we all wear Collins Aerospace badges, which means any given time, Craig, you walk into a room and you can't really tell who's from what legacy company or heritage company anymore. Um, and so uh, to me, that's the real mark of whether or not it's something has been successful, whether or not you can get the people and the cultures to sort of work together and meld. And that's been happening. So it's been, um, you can imagine, it's a, mo- it's a monumental change. It's a lot of change to be able to manage in a relatively short period of time. Uh, but I think the leadership under Kelly and Dave's leadership, Kelly Orberg and Dave Gitlin, 
Um, I think under their leadership, and frankly, you know, we're kind of in a great time in aerospace and boom in aerospace. So some of this is we just got, you know, good timing with a great environment around us. Everyone's head down taking care of the customers and making sure we build a better Collins Aerospace, um, you know, for the future. So it's, it's, it's exciting. I think the integration has gone very, very well. What do you, what do you think, you know, obviously, so UTAS and Goodrich, you know, UTAS was formed between, you know, UTC and then Goodrich. And now Rockwell Collins. What's you know obviously uh, you know a lot of bigger is better mentality out there. You know a lot you know Boeing can say the same as they're swallowing up a lot of companies with uh, you know Boeing Global Services. Is that just going to be the is that just going to be the trend? Do you think uh, a little bit? You know uh, just you know cost of capital and the you know, the barriers to entry are so high that uh, the bigger players are going to you know kind of need to to continue to get a little bigger to to keep the technology moving forward. Yeah, you know, I think that could be the case, Craig. I think um, a, a few. I think there's a few things that play into. You know, you, you mentioned the trend. That, uh, I'll call it consolidation, especially of sort of tier one and tier two suppliers uh, to the OEMs. I think there's a few trends that probably feed that. Um, you, know, you know, the first being that I think customers are expecting more system type solutions, right? So it's not anymore. You give us a bunch of parts. We'll figure out how to integrate them and work them, uh, work them together. Customers are looking for kind of a complete package, and so companies like ours, you know, we don't, you know, we don't just focus on delivering a component to a customer. Sometimes that is the nature of our business; it gets transactional. But more and more of the trend over the last decade, decade and a half, have been, uh, you know, delivering an entire, for instance, air management system, an entire actuation system. Um, and those kinds of systems, not even subsystems, but purely tier one systems on an aircraft require a lot of integration. Previously, the integration had to take place between a lot of different companies, right? And then who takes the lead on disclosure agreements, intellectual property. Mm-hmm. I think having you know, a lot of that capability under one roof uh, not only eases some of the integration of these components into a system, but, you know, those things I just mentioned, like intellectual property and who takes the lead and all those right. things kind of go away, and we can focus on the task at hand. So I think that's a, that's a huge trend is, you know, sort of the expectation of our customers. Yep. Yeah, and that, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think about, you know, before Collins Aerospace, but, you know, to see Gulfstream aircraft with the, uh, the 500 and the 600, and, you know, Gulfstream, when I was there, had been, you know, married to Rolls-Royce for, Years and years and years and years, and now the you know, the new aircraft have the Pratt and Whitney engines on them. And, and, and um, I, you know, you yeah. mentioned Craig, you know, about the cost of capital, of investment, and those, you know, and that's absolutely the case as well. I mean, I think that's another trend, which is, um, you know, our customers, um, and frankly, you know, in in the civil space, the flying uh, flying public, um, I think in the military space, our end customers, uh, you know, whether it be a mission, full mission capability, mission readiness, mission completion, mm-hmm. um, their expectations are more and more uh, that the prime contractors expect us to make more of our own investment, right? Um, right. So when there's a new development uh, program going on for aircraft, whether it's rotorcraft or fixed wing, whether it's military, civil, even the U.S. government, there's an expectation that we're willing to invest, right, in that venture and um, in order to be able to make some of those really significant investments up front, it requires uh, a bit of scale, right? You mm-hmm. have to be able to be able to have businesses that are in all different phases of the aerospace cycle all at once so you can fund some of your cash and capital requirements so that 
we can make, you know, what is, no matter what we call it, at the end of the day in aerospace, some of these end up being big bets. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, it's nice when you can go to an airframer and say, hey, look, yeah, we can provide you engines, and we can provide you, you know, cockpit systems, and we can provide you, you know, uh, you know this stuff and, you know, fuel systems and, and a little bit of everything, and, and you help them put it together, and, and the, you know, the risk-sharing model I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. So, uh um, you know, it, it's it's billions of dollars to develop new technology, right? And uh, right. everybody's got to be working together. But that's uh, no, it's 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 fun to watch. So you've got mechanical systems. Um, what's uh, what's happening in your world? What's 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 going on with the mechanical systems side? Where's the technology all going? Yeah, so a little bit about mechanical systems, Craig. It's um, you know, um, it's it's pretty unique in the sense that it's really a portfolio type business that I have. <clears throat> so think about it really as a portfolio of um, the actuation business. Uh, and again, for military and civil fixed swing and rotorcraft, uh, the landing gear business, the wheels and brakes business. Um, I have a hoist and winch business, uh, which is purely rotorcraft. Um, and I have propeller cockpit systems, right? Which is exactly what it sounds like side stick units all the way to, propellers um, on uh, a very important turboprop market that we still uh, service. So it's a number of different companies, mostly legacy Goodrich companies, um, uh, that, we w- with, that we've woven together in mechanical systems. And so it's kind of interesting. We play in very, very different markets and regions around the world. Even geographically, we're very dispersed. I have, I have about 10,000 people who uh, report to mechanical systems uh, one of, uh, in our companies, and two-thirds of those are actually outside of the U.S. I think we're by far, within Collins Aerospace, the most internationally based, uh, both from a, from a population of our employees and our factories, um, but also the customers that we have. We have a lot of international outside the U.S. sales. So it's unique from a couple perspectives. The place where we're spending a lot of our um, investment um, in, you know, sort of looking forward to the world is – Kind of, it's consistent with the theme of Collins Aerospace, which is, you know, uh, connectivity, right? Um, you know, we mentioned before customers' expectations about um, the flying public's expectations. For instance, when they get on an aircraft, and they have, they have, um, you know, the, uh, they they have the belief and the expectation, right, that all the components on the aircraft are going to work together for their benefit. Well, if we're being honest with ourselves, Craig, that's still a phenomenon that all of us in the industry aspire to. We're not there yet. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of times there's still highly federated systems. When you can get a connected system, so for instance, when you have the landing gear being able to sense when it needs to be serviced, uh, uh, when you have um, actuators um, uh, on the aircraft that can provide detailed information on their, their performing on takeoff and landing, um, we can do a few things. Uh, most importantly, we can significantly reduce the operating cost of the aircraft for our customers. So connected systems allows us to get real-time information while the aircraft is still in the air so that, for instance, a ground crew can prepare to either do maintenance, have a spare part ready, so we can reduce the turnaround time in the aircraft, increase the efficiency, and, again, lower the operating costs. So that's just one application on PHM. What's mm-hmm. really exciting about Collins Aerospace in general, and we're certainly a part of this in mechanical systems, Craig, is we're taking even a broader look than that. We're taking a look at the aircraft ecosystem, the flying ecosystem, the aviation ecosystem. Um, you know, through this acquisition, 
we have companies uh, that operate uh, and are leaders in areas like um, air-to-ground uh, communication, uh, not only for the pilots, but also for the passengers on the plane. Um, so increasing that connectivity. Um, how many times you get on an aircraft now um, and they have a little Wi-Fi sign and, you know, it works great most of the time, doesn't work sometimes, not always on international flights. I think expectations of the flying public and our customers is that they be connected all times, and we play an integral role with that uh, with some of the companies uh, that form Collins Aerospace. I think, secondly, um, the ecosystem of flying includes things like making sure that we have the right kind of visualization identification practices so that when you come to the airport, uh, we can create an ecosystem whereby you don't need to have a boarding pass, right? Your, your face, your retinal scan could be your identification to get on an airplane to get through security. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know anyone who I speak to that says that they wouldn't like a more efficient uh, process, safe, obviously, uh, but efficient process in getting through the airport. So we have systems and processes now in the company and some technology that has not only enabled that, but we'll be launching some pilot programs in various airports soon. We'll be able to demonstrate that to the flying public. So everything from what you do on the ground to prepare for a flight when you get on the aircraft, all the way through the flight to the time that you land and you depart, um, we'll have a big role to play in that entire ecosystem. And again, it's these technologies that we've acquired and companies that we've acquired through the years that allow us to build that. And again, in mechanical systems, you know, you can't take off or land without a landing gear. Uh, you have to make sure that the aircraft has uh, the braking power necessary. Actuations allow uh, the aircraft to be controlled in flight. Um, you know, I can go on and on. Our cargo mm -hmm. systems business allows us, to, uh, allows us to transport baggage carefully, whichever one wants. So we play an integral role in every element of that. Right. No, that's pretty cool. What, I mean, hey, 10,000 people, two-thirds of which are uh, elsewhere, outside the U.S. So uh, you're racking up a lot of frequent flyer miles, but that's uh, that's keeping a lot of wheels on a lot of different buses. How are you managing that? What kind of challenges are you seeing? You know, it is. It's kind of interesting. Um, and uh, you're right about the frequent flyer miles. I think, um, you know, when I say the flying public, I guess I can include myself in that now as a, as a, uh, as a significant member of the flying public. Um, you know, we use technology where we can from a communication standpoint. So uh, things like video conferencing, uh, we embrace. Uh, but obviously, there are also times when it comes to customers or dealing with your own folks uh, in various facilities there's nothing that substitutes for face-to-face, -face, from face-to-face. -face. So myself and my leadership team make it a point. Uh, we have a headquarters here in Charlotte. Um, we, we, uh, we joke about the amount of time we spend here. Uh, I often remark I come back and have to clear the cobwebs from my office. So we spend a lot of time on our road uh, making sure that, you know, everyone kind of understands the main objectives of our organizations, right? The customer focus, no matter what product you service, no matter – what product you manufacture, no matter what customer or no matter what segment we play in, there are a few things that have to hold true, right? Uh, we have number one obligation is to make sure that we have the highest level of customer sensitivity, customer support, and customer focus, right? Um, and that, again, it doesn't matter if you're sitting in a facility and making propellers in Fijiac, France, or if you're making valves in our facility in Malaysia, right? Um, you have to have that kind of focus on who's my customer, what are the customer's expectations, and what can I do to meet them? Secondly, obviously, we have financial requirements we have to meet, right? We have shareholders who invested in United Technology, and they expect a return on their investment. So we make our commitments to our shareholders, and we keep those. And, again, that's across the board. That doesn't 
necessarily mm-hmm. change from region to region or culture to culture. The challenge can be in is you know there are some external events that have a higher impact. So for instance, you know one of my largest facilities, I have the largest facilities in Collins Aerospace in the UK, or Wolverhampton facilities, which is headquarters for actuation. So for me, uh, when I see things like the Brexit debate, uh, it not only becomes, hey, that's interesting and how it may affect my customers, that could have a significant impact on the way we operate in the UK, right, Mm -hmm. with 1,100 of my folks um, and hundreds of millions of dollars of sales coming out of that facility. So for us, we have to prepare uh, for those. And that's a kind of a unique challenge, right? I don't have to do that with the factories that I have in Jamestown, North Dakota that makes cargo, for instance. Right. So we have to have contingency plans, buffer stock, customer communication plans. How are we preparing for Brexit? With you know, with obviously all the unknowns that come along with the timing and the impact of Brexit. So that's kind of some unique challenges uh, that we face in the international environment. I'd also say, you know, um, we we have to just consistently make sure that we're sensitive to the fact that we have such a large international base. I joke, you know, something as simple as a staff meeting that I have, and I have my leadership team all around the world, we have to be very careful in how we schedule these things so that we get people's maximum participation, and frankly, we don't inconvenience them too much. Mm -hmm. You know, if I have a 3 o'clock staff meeting, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, on a Friday afternoon, that doesn't necessarily mean great things for my leadership in the U.K. and France, right? So. Likewise, I have a facility hoist and winches out in Brea, California, which is in Pacific Standard Time. So it, it means that you have to sort of be very mindful of when you're doing things. You have to be mindful about the different cultures in which you're operating. But at the end of the day, you know, we keep our two, three priorities ahead of us, and we all sign up to them, and those are universal. Uh, the customer focus makes sense no matter what region, what time zone, what culture. Uh, that's, you know, for us, that's, you know, the, that's foundational for Collins Aerospace. Yeah, no, I, I got I, Well, hey, look, you know, just like you said, the, the Brexit thing. Um, you know, every, you know, we, as the industry, watch it pretty close. And, and, and you know, a lot of people are like, yeah, 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 it's Brexit. And it's like, no, it's, it's really a big deal. Right. You know, depending on, you know, what happens. And it's going to, you know, it's going to, you know, cost people a lot of money or it's going to make them a lot of money. Yeah, it's not just, I mean, Craig, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not just a news story to us, right? These are, yeah. this, this affects, um, you know, um, hundreds of uh, customers that are counting on us. This, this affects thousands and thousands of employees that are counting on us, right, uh, to be able to um, you know, navigate through this gracefully. Obviously, there's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of sales on the line here from a shareholder standpoint. So, we're not just sort of mild, you know, interested observers in what happens in Brexit. We actually have to go and make, you know, decisions based upon how we're going to operate, what we're going to do differently uh, with something which is very, very unpredictable out there. Yeah, no, it's 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 like a dark cloud hanging over. A, 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 you know, well, you know, right now it's a it's an economic dark, you know, dark cloud hanging over, you know, the UK. Yep. And um, yeah, be, be you know, kind of the be, be very careful what you what you ask for. Right. Um, right. Type of scenario, so we'll see. Hey, you know, it's a lot of cool, pro, you know, a lot of cool programs coming down the, the pike. I know you're uh, you're you're pretty involved in uh, future vertical lift. You got some new hoist technology out there for helicopters. You know, we've got uh, supersonic business jets um, rolling down the rolling down the pike. What yeah. uh, what's some of the what are some of the neater programs that you see uh, on your radar? 
So, you know, Craig, with my history and my background and my uh, previous, um, you know, I guess uh, almost 20 years at Sikorsky, you know, I'd be remiss if you mentioned future uh, future programs, exciting programs, if we didn't talk about future vertical lift. Right. Um, and so, you know, I obviously, I think we're on the cusp of sort of generational technological change in rotorcraft and and rotorcraft with some refinements and obviously with some advancements in technology, the concept of most helicopters that are flying in the world today hasn't changed much really since the time of Igor Sikorsky, right? Single male rotor, tail rotor. And again, there's mm-hmm. been some variation on that, um, but nothing, you know, um, incredibly significant. I think future vertical lift is a game changer for rotorcraft. Um, and so not only the missions that they can compete, but the technologies that will have to be brought to bear to be able to fly with, you know, speed, you know, combination of speed, range, autonomy, um, all those things that are sort of embodied by the future vertical lift program. So, you know, our question in mechanical systems here becomes, you know, with those kinds of increased capabilities on the horizon, uh, what can our products do differently? What can our products do better? Um, you mentioned Hoist. Are, um, you know, we're, uh, we're in the process of, um, we've initiated the process of certification of something called Pegasus, which is um, the real first breakthrough advancement on hoist technology in the last 40 years. It'll allow our customers to be able to spend 40 to 50% less dollars being able to uh, maintain the hoist because of a modular design that allows you to be able to switch out components on the hoist without sending the whole hoist back to us. Um, it'll provide much more efficient and safe operation during hoist. It's got single-point payout, which means it'll reduce things like oscillation. I mean, I can go on and on, but essentially, as the aircraft evolves and as the future vertical lift evolves, the life-saving mission that goes along with the hoist that, frankly, the helicopter, it's hard to be able to do without a hoist, um, will become an extension, right, of that life-saving mission, not just a component on the aircraft. And we're working very closely with the rotorcraft manufacturers to understand kind of what they're developing so we can be in synchronization and lockstep. You know, similarly, actuation technology, if you look at um, all of the offerings, really, on future vertical lift that the OEMs have teased and put out there and and currently as far in in flight tests, they all require an advanced degree of actuation technology, right? There's more large exposed moving parts on those uh, to both increase uh, increase the speed, but most most importantly, increase the maneuverability of these aircraft. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that tests our ability in actu- in, a, in my actuation business to be able to make things like small compound motors, right? So you take up less space and weight and geography on the aircraft, but you provide uh, you know better capability, and um, and sometimes under very adverse conditions, right, where these aircraft fly. So that's just a couple of the examples. Um, thankfully, you know, whether it's um, sonic, uh, you know, supersonic, hypersonic, um, you know, whether it's, um, you know, ETOL type aircraft, they haven't made an aircraft yet that doesn't need some kind of landing gear. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in our landing gear and our landing systems business, at some point, it's going to be important for that aircraft to come down to a graceful landing uh, and for it to maneuver or taxi on some sort of runway. Um, you know, at some point. And so, you know, our wheels and brakes and landing gear uh, business, some of the folks, you know, that we, we have working on, some of the brightest, best and brightest folks that we have in the company um, are working on next generation technologies. Uh, brake wear. How, how do you make a brake? We have a Duracar uh, brake pad right now. How do you make a brake that works three, four times longer than the current brake technology? 
reduces maintenance costs, increases uh, the maneuverability of the aircraft on the ground. I mean, again, all things that are very, very consistent with where we see the OEMs going, where we see the platforms going. Do you, do you think that, you know, you know obviously the you know, one of the goals is making, you know, systems better and better. You know, but there's a there's a tremendous amount of revenue that comes to y'all in the in the form of aftermarket. You know, how do you yeah, how do you see your aftermarket you know uh, you know, developing as new technologies come in line? You obviously have to train, you know, new pro, you know you you've got some you know some uh, people you you outsource to. How are you how are you you training you know your suppliers to meet the new tech? Yeah, demand I mean, I, I mean, to support yeah, your aftermarket. I mean, I think- I think for us, you know, it, it becomes about, um, you know, using data. Uh, and I think that's kind of the linchpin, frankly. Um, you know, Craig, our customers more and more, if you take a look at, for instance, um, you know, we have a program, a cost per landing program uh, uh, associated with our wheels and brakes business. So 70% of our customers um, opt to sign contracts with us where they don't take the wheels and brakes and then exchange them and pay a transaction fee or do an outright mm-hmm. sale of wheel and brakes. They simply pay us every time they, they uh, land an aircraft. Mm-hmm. And if anything happens during that landing, if, they, if the, you know, eventually the wheels and brakes they wear, they need replacement, um, that's included in the fee of whatever they paid us. So think about it almost like a power by the hour type of program, right. but for landing gear. Right? So that's the revenue. right? So that's my revenue stream coming in. What's mm-hmm. great about that is, you know, they have a fixed sort of expected cost based upon the number of takeoff and landings. It's very predictable for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my profit opportunity on that is how quickly I can get those wheels and brakes back to them, which aligns with their goals, but also how can I make that brake last longer? How can I become more efficient repair and overhaul? So how mm-hmm. can I reduce my costs associated with that? So there's a lot of, in the aftermarket, especially in the support world, there's a lot of places where you can really line up incentives, right? Less downtime, more flying is better for all of us, right? Um, fixing a customer's ability to be able to budget is better for us, more you know, predictable stream of revenue for us, um, and then it allows us to focus where we're good on cost and efficiency, right, to make sure that we get a healthy return or at least an expected return um, on the aftermarket. For our suppliers, what it means for them is they have to play in this data discussion, right? We don't invent everything that goes on the aircraft. Uh, and while we're, you know, dom- domain expertise at the system level, it doesn't necessarily hold true for every component that we acquire from a supplier. They're obviously the domain, they have the domain knowledge there. So for them, it means for us, if you want to be a partner long-term with Collins, with not only mechanical systems, but I'll say Collins Aerospace overall, we want to make sure that you are aligned with us in our goal to be able to use data and information that comes off the aircraft to make your subcomponent better. Right, mm-hmm. it's got to last longer. It's got to be more durable. It's got a higher sense of quality to it, um, and you have to be willing to sort of make those investments. Um, and if that's the case, then we'll get the right long-term agreements in view. And these 40, 50, 60-year revenue streams, right, that that pr- get produced in the aftermarket, that are so vital for us and our ability to be able to reinvest in the uh, in in our uh, in our capabilities um, and in innovation, uh, they'll have a healthy share of that as well. Yep, I got it. So obviously, technology—the one thing that you know—it's it's interesting. You know, the the technology is changing rapidly. Um, everybody, every operator out there is complaining right now that you know it's very, very hard to find A and P mechanics. It's very, very hard to find pilots. 
And I'm hearing a lot of companies saying they're challenged right now to find the technical skills in engineering and you know, business executives to you know, to get the business forward. Um, you know, don't know what you guys are seeing, but what do we need to be doing to, you know, where do we need to be going to make sure that we've got the, the right skill sets, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Yeah, you know, it's, it's um, I think, frankly, um, it's the biggest challenge that we face. Um, and I don't think it's unique to Collins Aerospace. I think it's, uh, as you mentioned, Greg, as you inferred, I think it's a, uh, it's an industry challenge. Um, and I, you know, I, I, as you know, I've been kind of in the aerospace game for 20, 20 plus years. <clears throat> I remember even 15, 20 years from ago, you know, after being recruited by uh, my company to go out back into colleges and talk about aerospace and get people excited and want you know, get them to want to come to aerospace. Frankly, it wasn't that hard. You'd go to these conferences, you'd set up, and even if they weren't aerospace conferences, you'd sit there, you'd put your model airplane out, your model helicopter, your model cockpit, whatever the case may be, and, you know, you had an insurance company next to you trying to recruit, right? And so you'd sit there and say, boy, this is easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel to get people interested in this. Mm-hmm. And then you start seeing the turn, right? When you go to those conferences, um, especially the technical ones, right, National Society of Black Engineers and um, all these other uh, great, uh, um, you know, venues that we have for recruiting. And then one year I looked up and I noticed that we were sandwiched in between, like, Apple and Google, Right. And I'm thinking to myself, we're not necessarily just the coolest folks on the block anymore. Right. right? So um, a lot of the top technical talent now starts getting peeled off and going to some other areas and good for them. But the one thing we know that we can't compete with sometimes, you know, we don't we don't say, hey, you know, come work for Collins Aerospace. Uh, You'll be able to work for us for two or three years. You'll get some stock options and you'll find yourself, you know, waking up with a million dollars in a few years. Nobody gets into aerospace with that kind of intention, certainly not working for a big company with that kind of intention. So what we've been doing is we've been focusing a little bit more on the mission for what we do. We find, I find young people now want to be more aligned with the mission. So it's not necessarily just about the job. Okay, here's what you're going to do when you come in every day. You turn on your computer or you, you, know, or you pick up your tools from the tool crib and you're going to work on the aircraft. Here's here's really, more importantly, here's the impact of what you do on the world, right? There's, you know, three-quarters of the world's population has never been on an airplane. You're going to help mm-hmm. connect them, right? You're going to help them. Uh, you're going to help their ability to be able to um, make connections and see the world and see relatives and do what they want to do. Um, you know, our military mission, obviously, the message there is even clearer, right? What you're doing is helping protecting the freedom of um, ourselves, our country, and our allies, Right. Um, and there's a direct link to what you're doing in the military space, military aviation, be able to support that. So we've learned that, yes, we have to talk about the job skills. Yes, we have to talk about the salary, the compensation, the steadiness of the work, the exciting technical challenges. But we have to focus on the mission um, and making sure that we tell people that, you know, while there's a lot of great things out there, you can go to hedge fund and make a lot of money, and that's great. You have to ask yourself, what's the mission? I don't think in aviation and defense – Luckily, we're at a place where the mission is very visible. It's very viable. It's not going to go anywhere in the future. So we just need to be able to convince our young people that this is a great area to be in. Yeah, and that's a really common theme. Um, I've talked to a couple executives, and they said the same thing. Everybody today wants to know what what they're doing will be for a, a good cause. It's not just, hey, we're developing AI for AI's sake. It's, you know, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of what I'm doing 
and how can I benefit the world from it? And um, it, it just seems like that's the, the mindset of the generations coming yeah. up. And I will tell you, Craig, you know, um, you know, on the talent front as well, you're right. We're seeing a shortage of there's not, in my mind, enough, certainly enough um, folks that are A&P mechanics or interested in, be, even interested in becoming A&P mechanics. And I guess that's not like the, um, unlike the trend that we've seen in some of the other trades. Um, but even on the technical and the engineering side, right, um, we're just not producing um, enough, necessarily enough engineers in um, world, uh, parts of the world where we have a large aerospace and concentration uh, companies. And so there's a couple things we're doing there. Number one, we're broadening the net. Right. So, for instance, um, we have, you know, uh, a couple thousand engineers in Bangalore. Right. India does not have a shortage of folks that are interested in becoming engineers. And so we're melding together the capabilities that they have and they bring to bear uh, so that we make them part of, you know, our extended engineering community, uh, whether they're outsourced or, frankly, more and more insourced and working for our company. Um, so we have great pockets and regions around the world where we can still sort of leverage the interest in technical talent and make that a part of our community. The second thing that we're doing, and to me this is the one that I'm most passionate about, is we need to get more women and more girls um, at a younger age and women in later stages much more interested in this industry. Um, and certainly I'll call it the technical aspects of this industry. Um, and when I say technical, I mean more women pilots, more women mechanics, uh, you know, more women engineers, more women CEOs, business leaders, um, more women P&L leaders. You know, largely aerospace and defense has managed to be able to progress as far as it has, uh, largely by relying upon, you know, the talents that are available in roughly 50% of the world's population. And I'm not to say there weren't outliers and there weren't women who contributed greatly to aviation. They have. But we as a community have greatly uh, undervalued, right, um, the contribution that girls uh, early on and then women later on can make um, in yeah. our industry. So I'm very passionate um, about the programs that we have, not only in the U.S., but around the world, uh, to get more young girls, and I'm talking about K through 5, K through 8, um, interested in pursuing uh, aerospace and defense. Um, not only as an interest, but as a profession. And once we harness that energy and that interest, I think all the things that we talk about now with some of the, um, you know, not enough people being interested in our industry, I think all that will go away. And, you know, it's urgent. Uh, as you mentioned, we, we, uh, we have to start now. We have to start young uh, to make sure that they, we get them interested and that we keep their whole, uh, hold their interest in the educational process. Yeah, I'm almost thinking, like, you know, just, just, for, our, you know, just for our own health, and well-being as an industry moving forward, it's almost like we got to create some some sort of public-private partnerships, and and literally get reach into the schools and talk about, hey, look, you know, I sat on a board in North Carolina that you know governor, you know governor at the time Purdue um, hosted. How do we get more aerospace jobs in Carolina? And, and the conclusion we all came to was literally, you know, we got to be in the schools at very young ages talking about what a cool industry we have and, right. and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's good pay. It's, you know, good skills. It's good pay. It's fun. It's cool. Um, it's technical. There's a lot of advance moving forward, but we got to, you know, like you said, we got to be in it fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Promoting I, tell people, it. I tell people, Craig, I wouldn't trade my 25 years, um, in aerospace. Um, I wouldn't trade that to be in any other industry. 
um, just because of the experiences that exposes you to, right? Some of the customers, uh, some of the military customers especially, um, you know, it's tangible. You can, you can, you know, you can go to the airport and look what we work on. You can turn on the TV, you can look what we work on, right? You can see a service yep. member walking down the street and chances are that they've been impacted or affected by what you've been able to do. And there's not a lot left in this world where you can be, you know, there's not a lot of uh, other industries because we've become so digital where that tangible kind of connection is there. And I, I, it's hard to describe, uh, but I think we have to do a better job of describing it to young people, but that's a huge sense of accomplishment and pride. And so um, I think if we just continue to, you know, put that message home, and again, the public-private partnerships, um, getting them early in school, and not only in the U.S., but around the world, um, you know, getting, uh, getting to kids early in school and being able to describe the benefits that we've all gotten um, and all the, you know, um, honestly, all the uh, fulfillment that we've all gotten from working in this industry and being very, very direct about the fact that they have that same potential, that they have that same opportunity. You mentioned this isn't an industry that's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, you know, I think we're still a long way from teleporting. So until that's the case, this is going to be a great, viable, generational uh, type of industry for people to work in. The best is yet to come, for sure. I think so. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on today. I know you got a you know I know you got a lot of a lot of stuff going on in a lot of different time zones, and to block forty five minutes off for this is uh, is is fantastic and much appreciated. Thank Frank, you, fantastic. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate. it. I look forward to uh, meeting up again soon. And I'll take you up on that golf game in Charlotte next time I see you. Okay, thanks, Greg. Thanks, Sam. Talk soon.